1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, we read in verses 15 to 17, we're going to take this next passage, this is as we are wading through 1 John. He says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. I like New Year's because it's a time of resolutions. I actually like resolutions. Many joke of resolutions, but I actually like them. I think it's important to have godly goals and ambitions for growth in Christ. I think we all should do that. I, you never become more godly. You never grow in holiness simply by accident, simply by drifting. Simply by just allowing the, your own life to just take its course. It's always, what does is, what is, uh, Paul say to Timothy? You did not come with a spirit of timidity, but of love of, and of what? Self-discipline. There comes to be this decision, this crossroads in life where you must make a step. You must say, God, I'm going to do things that will harness and cultivate love for you. Or God, I will sit on my rear and do nothing. And so the Apostle John is talking about this here. And he's talking about the greatest, most worthy, most beneficial goal to have this year. I, uh, he's talking about it, and I would uh, bring it over to us in 2017. And that is to grow your love for the Savior. There is nothing more valuable, more precious to do with your life than to grow in love and to grow in knowledge of the Savior. When Jesus was asked what is the greatest commandment, he responded that the greatest commandment, the greatest order of your life, the greatest ambition you should have, the greatest life goal, would be to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Going hard after God, giving it all that you have. Now, we applaud this in athletics. We love the Olympics. We love it when someone is at the very brink of exhaustion and gives everything to winning the games. But brothers and sisters, as I preach to you today, this is far more important. Far more, for it has not only benefits in this life, but benefits in the next. How is your love for Christ? The true believer knows this. The one who has placed his or her faith in Christ alone for salvation desires to love God with everything they have. With Christ, it begins with love. There's the sequence, brothers and sisters. Don't think you could come to Christ with your own petty types of obedience. Don't think you could come to him saying, Okay, Christ, I've come and I have done all the list of requirements that is required of me. Now you must love me. That is not the way, that is not the way it works. That is not the way you will ever even try and follow Christ. Who has your heart? This is what John is talking about. Who has your heart? John doesn't talk about all the other things. Those are secondary, aren't they? He knows that if you love God, you will obey him. He knows that if you really love Jesus Christ, you will treasure his word. Who has your heart? 
Who has your heart this morning? What has your heart this morning? Who owns your affections? Who do you desire to please? How will you love Christ when it seems everything around you is attacking your faith in him? How are you going to love him? Well, I think First John is talking about how this love, there is two kinds of love. There is love for Christ and his glory. There is love for God. And there is love for the world. There is no middle ground. And he is speaking this, I believe, to believers. Such that we would not be entrenched in the world. Such that we would not seek after the things of the world and be caught up with its idolatry. God is speaking to you through this passage this morning so that you would grow in your love for Christ in a world that hates him. God is speaking to you this morning through this passage so that you would grow in your love for Christ in a world that hates him. How will you grow in your love for Christ when there is so much hostility first. First. What John talks about is. He commands. And he calls the Christian. To fight at the heart level. Fight at the heart level. Now. He says do not love the world. Nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world. The love of the father is not in him. John does not talk about the do's and the don'ts of Christianity. Are there do's and don'ts? There absolutely is. But oftentimes when people think about Christianity, well, it means, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this, I can't do that, right? I don't dance, I don't chew, I don't date girls who do, you know, as they used to say, right? All these minor rules. When John is not even talking about that, he's talking about where is your heart? What do you love? What makes you tick? I remember I was talking to my daughter. And we were saying, if I die tomorrow and people were to say, well, what did you know about Angelo? What was the prominent thing about Angelo? And someone said, oh, he was a fun guy to hang around with. I would have failed in life. They would not have known what really centered me, what really focus me what was the real essence of my life and that is if i it, that is I, that i love christ what is it that drives you brother and sister john talks about this how do you fight at the heart level why do you have to fight at the heart level well we are redeemed christians we have been saved but god God tells us in his word, you could look at Romans chapter 7 later on, that there is a remnant of sin that remains. A guerrilla warfare, as it were, that comes out when we are not watching, when we are not careful, when we are not wary, when we are not diligent, that comes out and militates against God himself. This is when we don't want God. This is when we have a hard time reading the scriptures. This is when we know what is right and we don't do it. This is where the fight has to be. 
Brothers and sisters, God does not want you to fight at the superficial level. Do you understand? Just a mask that we put on in front of each other at church service or when we come to Bible study. I'm just going to put on this mask and just let everyone know that I'm just doing just dandy and you can't see the mess that is happening behind me. God doesn't want you to deal with sin in that way. Deal with it at the heart level. What do you love? What do you love? Now first, resolve your whole being. Okay? How do you fight at the heart level? You got to resolve your whole being. Okay? You have to resolve your whole being. He says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. We know this word love. The definition of that word, word you know, there's maybe three or four different words of love in Greek that we translate love. But this form, this is uh, the agape love. This is the love that is sacrificial. It is the love that says, I will bear sacrifice on the benefit of whatever I choose my eyes on. In fact, John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that what? God sacrificed in himself, right? He so loved the world that he what? Gave his son. So he gave up his own son, to show and to demonstrate love. And God, the Apostle John, takes that same word and he says it about you, Christian, that when you are not focused on God's word, when you are not focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, you use that same word, that agape love, for the world. You use that same word of self-sacrificing. I will sacrifice relationships. I will sacrifice myself for the world. That sounds crazy. But if you look in the mirror, that's what you do every time you sin. It is the love. And notice John says this in the imperative. That is a command. He says that. You do not love the world. Now, what is the world? The world is not the material items that we look at, okay? The world is not the ocean. It's not the dirt that we are standing on. The, the, the way the Bible uses the word world, you have to look at it in context. And here, it's not people. It's not creation. It's not the good things in creation. But rather, it is the evil world system, okay? It is the way people think. As scholars say, it is the zeitgeist. It is the spirit of the age, right? Uh, there are many philosophies that oppose Christ. There's communism. There's atheism. There's Hinduism. There is Islam. There is Buddhism. There's the New Age. There's evolution. And the most popular one in the U.S. is just plain secularism. Living a life without God. Now, there are varied philosophies and theories, but God calls all of that that opposes his son, that opposes his glory, that opposes his word, he calls all of that, he wraps it all, and he calls it the world. The world. It doesn't bring glory to Christ. They are all summed up by the world. So you can call this world the world order. The realm of existence, the way of life. This is how unbelievers are characterized. They have a Christless, unbiblical thinking. 
This is the way that unbelievers live their lives. In Romans chapter 1, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. This is how unbelievers live their lives in Romans chapter 1. When Paul is talking about this indictment in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, he says, for even though they knew God, he's talking about everyone, okay? When people say there is no God, the Bible says, yes, they do know God. They suppress the truth in them, okay? Creation shouts it. Heaven shouts it. He says, even though they knew God, they did not honor him, God, or give thanks. Now, here is the world system, okay? It says here, they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Vain in their speculations. Empty in their speculations. All creation is shouting at them the glory of God. There is evidence of God all over. The very fact that I have an eyeball that can see you and the complexity of the eyeball is shouting the glory and the magnificence of God and yet, in your mind, as an unbeliever, okay, folks will say, well, now, it kind of just happened because molecules got together and amino acids formed together and they accidentally were charged and millions and millions and millions and millions of years later, that's how it, and that's why we don't have God. Where they believe, absolutely, unequivocally, that something came from nothing. That organization came from randomness. That's a lot more faith than it does to believe that God created. Right? They become futile in their speculations. Now notice, how are they futile? Their foolish heart was darkened. Notice verse 22. This is what our, where our world is. They profess to be wise. They think they know. They speak about the meaning of life like they have the authority the Bible says they're blind. They have no authority. They didn't come from the dead. They're not God. God has the authority. And exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. It is, this world order is how unbelievers think. Devoid of Christ. Not giving him the glory. Now, this can show up in different ways, okay? Notice in verse 23, they exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. They could worship all that man thinks, all that man wants to do. Man is the final arbiter. This is how they think. Man is the final arbiter. He judges. He decides if there's a God or not. He decides if God controls the universe or not. He is the final arbiter or of birds, four-footed animals, and crawling things. That is the world. As Christians, we are, we are called to not be captured by the world's philosophies. Go in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We have to see what is this enemy that tries to captivate the Christian. In Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And verse 8. Now he says, well, look at verse 6. 
You have received Christ, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him, established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. Now, Paul is telling them to keep growing in Christ. Keep believing in Christ. And then he says in verse 8, because this is the attacks that will happen. Brothers and sisters, please understand, we are being assailed completely all the time with different philosophies with different religions. I was reading this article about Oprah. It's like she's a prophet. Like anything she says is like completely correct. The Bible says in verse 8, see to it that no one, not even Oprah, not even Dr. Phil, takes you captive, what, through what? Philosophy and empty deception. Why? Because it's according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. We are to not be captured. Lastly, we are to, as Christians, to destroy false beliefs as it leads to judgment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, I'll just read it for you. It says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Fight it at the heart level, brothers and sisters. The heart is the seat of who you are. It includes your thoughts. It includes your beliefs, your presuppositions. Fight it at the heart level. Now, this is, this is how it gets into you, okay? Um, sometimes my, me and my kids will listen to the radio while we're driving. Because our CD player broke, and I don't want to fix it. I got an old car, and I got an old CD player, and I think there's a CD still stuck in there. So we listen to the radio. And as you listen to the radio, if you do not have the filter of Scripture, and you just let it go, all of a sudden you will find yourself, because we're musical people, right? You will find yourself muttering the very philosophies of the world. Of pride, of arrogance, of a life without Christ. I think I, I think we were driving, and I haven't heard this song in like twenty or thirty years. It's an old, old rap song, and I started rapping, it and I go, "What? A, whoa!" Talking about I'm the best rapper, I'm the baddest. No one could defeat me on the on. That is pride. That's arrogance, right? And my kid said, "What is that, Dad?" And so. We have to be, I have to, right, to be diligent, right? And I think it is a better approach not to say you can't see this, you can't see that, you can't listen to this, you can't listen to that. It is a better approach to say, okay, kids, what is it that militates against Scripture in this song? What is it that militates against Scripture in this movie? How should the person have trusted in Christ? Now, I don't mean to be the, I don't mean to be the wet blanket when, come on, Angelo, it's just a movie. I just want to watch the movie. But I'm the shepherd. And I will defend the sheep. And I will watch the sheep. Brothers and sisters, I pray you would do that. 
Young people, I pray that you would have this discernment and you would grow and question, 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 question what the world is teaching. And line it up to what Scripture is. Now, he says to also, as you're fighting at the heart level, you got to resolve your whole being, but also you got to recognize what true salvation is. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And here, he's talking about if you have a characteristic, habitual, unrepentant lifestyle that does not love God, but loves the world. The only thing, and here are some questions that you have to ask yourself. Where am I? Where am I in this category? Do I really love God? Because the Bible says if you really do, you will obey him. And you will seek to hate the things of the world and to follow after Christ. Or do you really love the world? And you don't want Christ over you. Now how do you know? What are the things that really, really excite you? What are the things that you really put your most time into? What are the things that captivate your mind and your heart? What are the things that are always on your lips? What are the things that always grabs your attention? That is what you treasure. Now, you could be an unbeliever who, are, who is staying in there, or you could be a Christian who is starting to drift. What is it that grabs you? What is it that excites you? What is it that you would sin to do? I think uh, a good indicator too is this is how you know that, you have, that you've started to harbor an idol in your life. When your husband, your wife, when your friend, your family member, another Christian puts their finger on your idol, how do you react? You see, when people put their finger on other people's idols, people get upset. No, don't. No, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Leave me alone. I'm going to do this. They get upset. Right? I would argue to you, brothers and sisters, when someone loves you so much to point that out and you get upset, you have fallen in love with the world. We are to hold all these things. Now, does that mean I don't play volleyball, don't go to the beach, don't surf, don't, don't go diving? I'm just saying all my hobbies, right? Does that mean we don't have any fun? No, we are to receive all these things and have fun and do it and play silly games together and laugh all night, right? We are to have all these things, but... We hold them loosely. And we don't say, I'm going to have it no matter what. Because why? All of a sudden, something has taken preeminence. And it's not Christ anymore. And now you're running over people to get it. Do you see? It's not Christ anymore. I got to have it. I got to have that bottle. I got to have that drug. I got to look at that porn. I got to do... I got to do this hobby now. And I don't care if relationships suffer. I don't care if, if my kids are not being taken care of. I don't care of anything, of anything else. You've loved the world, brother. You've loved the world, sister. It could be scrapbooking. 
It could be quilting. It could be cooking chili. It could be any of those things. But you've left your first love. See, John doesn't talk about do's and don'ts. He talks about the heart. Who or what do you love? That is why when we are looking through the lens of Scripture, this cannot be mimicked indefinitely. Do you love Him? Do you love Christ? Then you love His gentle shepherding rule. He says in Matthew 11, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. Notice he says in 1 John chapter 5, if we go back to 1 John, in chapter 5, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God. How? When we love God and observe His commandments. Verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. When Christ calls you to do something, it doesn't bother you that much. It doesn't kill you. If it's bothering you, when God's clear word is speaking to you and it's bothering you and you don't want to do it, the Bible says you do not have the love of God in you. Watch your heart. Secondly, fight at the heart level. Secondly, be on constant guard. Be on constant guard. There is no vacation for the Christian. When you're on vacation, it's even more dangerous. Have you noticed that? I noticed that, right? When you're on vacation, it's more dangerous, right? Verse, uh, go back to 1 John chapter 2. He says here in verse 15, uh, verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now, you have to be on constant guard. Why? Because the world, the devil himself, the world's tactics, that's what you could write there. The world's tactics, he says, for all that is in the world. And we're talking again, not the material world, we're talking about this system. How do we know? Because now he's going to talk about the world's tactics. The first tactic is the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. The word there for lust is the Greek word epithumia, which is a, uh, it's, it's a, Word that just means strong, strong desire. It can be used of good things, but it's most often in the scriptures used of bad things. And this is a strong, strong desire. What is the lust of the flesh? Here, the flesh is strong desires of evil hearts. Strong desires of evil hearts. It is the strong desire that I will do whatever satisfies me at any moment, any time I want. Paul talks about and he outlines what the lust of the flesh is. And I could read this and you could write this down as we are going through this. Galatians 5.19. He says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. The word there for flesh, again, 
It is that evil, sinful, base desires with no bridling, no control. Okay? He says, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, which is, which is uh, from the root word pharmakeia, which means to take drugs, right? Enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like this, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The lust of the flesh is the strong desires that desire to be fulfilled no matter what at any cost. The lust of the eyes. What's the lust of the eyes? It is the strong desire, same thing, epithumia. It is the strong desire linked to temptation and enticement. The gates of the eyes are what we, what we use, and we notice the world through it. And God has given us eyes so that we could notice the world. But what the devil does and what the world does is it uses our eyes against us. Such that now we will be enticed and tempted to sin. It's just like the covetousness in Achan. If you remember in the Old Testament, God said to not get anything from the, from the uh, opposing forces. And Achan stole some idols, right? It is the idolatry of Israel. It is the adultery of David as he gazed upon Bathsheba. It went through the gates of his eyes. He allowed it to rest in his eyes. And he was tempted. And it linked with his own Sinful nature in his heart. And what happens is, James tells us this, that in our hearts, when we allow the temptation to come, because temptation comes all the time, right? When we allow the temptation to come and we linger there and we stay there, what occurs is now the things in our heart link up to it and then we've committed sin. The devil is wicked, isn't he? This world is wicked. The boastful pride of life. Oh, let me back up. The lust of the eyes. Jesus was talking about the lust of the eyes and he told us to take drastic measures. Matthew chapter 5. You shall not commit adultery. I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her in, already in his heart. And if your right eye makes you to stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. And he's using hyperbole. And he's saying, if there are things that are coming into the gates of your eyes that are ruining you, remove it. It could be things you shouldn't watch on TV. Doesn't matter if it's rated G or PG or PG-13. God doesn't care about the rating. It matters, is it a holy thing to look at, right? And so these things, this is why Job says, I have made a covenant with my what? Eyes that I might not gaze unto a virgin. Job said, I want to follow God, so I'm going to stick closely and I'm not going to have a wandering eye. I'm going to focus on you, God. And gals, I, I want to talk to you young women. This is how the magazines are going to destroy your image of yourself. This is how they do it, right? This is how the soap operas and the movies... And the teen vampire movies, I'm just telling you, I just got to say it. I got to say it, right? This is how it will destroy your image of yourself. 
God has created you fearfully and wonderfully. You were made fearfully and wonderfully unique. And as you grow in the image of God, you grow more and more into his likeness. And the world is telling you, no, that is useless. Look at this Instagram file over here. Look at this Instagram profile. She looks better than you. You ought to have a body like that. You ought to be dressing like that. And all of a sudden, you are grabbed by the lust of your eyes. And now, you're no longer satisfied with how God has created you. Now you want to be like that. And now, people are cutting themselves. And, and you, see, you hear teens, they cut themselves. And they commit suicide. Because now, someone is bullying them because they don't look the certain way. Through the lust of the eyes. Is this true? This is absolutely true. Let God tell you what you are like. Let the inner person of how you were made be the forefront. Become a godly woman, young girl. I speak to you because we have a lot of young women here. The boastful pride of life. It is the arrogance that seeks to elevate self over others and God. It seeks to defy God and to be God. Rather than man humbly receiving the fact that he is made in God's image, man in his rash arrogance and pride seeks to make God in his image. Now, before we move on, we have to look at, I cannot move on without looking at the failed Adam and the perfect Adam. Okay? Because this is, this is not new. I hope you guys know this. If John did write, John wrote this in the 90s, okay, 90 AD. So it's about 2,000 years old, maybe 21, uh, maybe 1,900 years old, right? Nelson, you could check my math. I don't know how to do that stuff, right? But this is the old schemes of the devil, of the enemy of old, okay? And let me show you, okay? This is fantastic. And I want to show you because when you know the schemes, you know how to defeat him, right? When you know the schemes, you can see it already starting to happen. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Okay. Genesis chapter 3. Now, I wish I can say I observed this on my own, but many scholars before have observed this, and so I'm just writing on their coattails. But Genesis chapter 3. And verse 1 through 7. We know this, that the garden was made perfectly for man and woman. They could have lived there for eternity, having all their needs met in God and in Christ. They could have eaten from all of the garden. And you notice it says here in Matthew chapter, excuse me, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said... This is how doubt starts to come into your life. When the enemy says, really? Did God really say? Huh. Right? Really? Did they really say that? That's how the enemy comes. Okay. Rather than receiving the word of God by faith, you start to doubt what he says. And then he says, the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle, 
of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Now the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Now he's denying the word of God. Complete denial. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, the one thing she should have thought of was the truth. Both Adam and Eve were already made in the image of God. right? But now the serpent is tempting Adam and Eve. She's He's tempting first Eve with what? What would we call this? You'll be just like God. You'll be right there with him. This is what in 1 John is called the boastful pride of life. You could just be like God. And you hear this in churches. This is sad. Just name it and claim it. You could just be just like God. You'll hear this in supposedly evangelical churches, right? You could determine your own path. You can determine your own will. You'll just be just like God. Notice he says, says here, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, okay? And that it was delightful to the eyes. Lust of the eyes. That the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and gave to her husband. Brothers and sisters, the enemy has been using the same tactics. Here in Genesis chapter 3, we have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. That is how the world will attack you. We go to Matthew chapter 4 where Mike was talking, and I think this is astounding that the first Adam failed, but the second Adam fulfilled. The first Adam was defeated. The second Adam is victorious. Matthew chapter 4. And Jesus, we know that from Romans chapter 5, He's also called the second Adam. So we were all born into the first Adam, into his sin. If we have faith in Christ, we shall be reborn into Christ. Okay. But you notice, I love this. He says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now let's look at how the devil tempts. Okay, Just watch. After he had fasted four days and four nights, he then became hungry and now... The devil is going to take advantage, right? And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And now Jesus says, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He was tempted by the lust of the flesh. Did you see that? The base hunger. Jesus had committed to God that he would, by faith, fast and pray and now the devil came to tempt him by the lust of the flesh notice he says then the devil took him how did jesus respond by the word of god amen 
Verse 5, then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and your hands, they will bear you up and that you shall not strike your foot against the stone. Now notice verse 5, he's saying, go ahead, throw yourself. You have charge of angels concerning you. You are in the same line of God, your father. He is calling Jesus. And even though Jesus had voluntarily submitted himself to the father, now he's saying, I want you to raise yourself up. Exalt yourself. What did he test him with? The boastful pride of life. And Jesus says, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. Thirdly, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Notice, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. That is the lust of the eyes. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Brothers and sisters, the only reason why you and I have power, the only reason why you and I can fight the devil, right? The only reason why we have strength in Christ is because where the first Adam failed, the second Adam fulfilled. And he has defeated every temptation of the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. Amen. Christ has defeated every sin. He has defeated the power of sin. And that is where we as his people can ride along with what he has done. His righteousness covers me, and now I rely on his strength. To fight this world. Fight at the heart level. Be on constant guard. And lastly, keep an eternal perspective. Keep an eternal perspective. Back to 1 John. 1 John. We cannot do this. Apart from the one who, have success, who has successfully Defeated every temptation. Amen. First John. Chapter 2. Verse 15. He says. The world is passing away. And also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God. Lives forever. You got to keep an eternal perspective. I think it's. I don't think it's funny. I think it's bizarre. That some people say. 2016. I hate you 2016. Because you killed all these celebrities. Have you ever seen that? I wish you'd end 2016. No, you know what? It's just showing that our world has fallen into sin. That our world is suffering the consequences of Adam's sin, right? With the loss of, what's her name? Carrie Fisher, right? With the loss of Prince, David Bowie. And what's that guy's name? What's that? 
George Michael, Muhammad Ali, um, what was that guy named? Snope. That's right. All of them, right? These guys were famous people, aren't they? But understand that even all that fame and all that money, they could not keep any of it. And the way that people liked them and lauded them, all of that, what, where the world valued, they could not keep any of it. The world is passing away. I think, I, I think it's so funny. It cracks me up. When we first moved here, there was a couple songs on the radio that just played constantly. And because my CD player is broken, I have to listen to the radio, right? And my kids and I just said, oh, that's that song again. That's that song again. And I said, you just watch. Next year, it's done. No one's going to want to hear it. In fact, they're going to laugh at it. And sure enough, next year, we haven't even heard it. And when it plays, we just laugh. Nobody cares about it. And all the youth who loved that song before now mock it. The world is passing away. And all the things that we chase after, if they're not God, please understand it is all going to go away. But the Bible says here in 1 John that the one who does the will of God lives forever. The one who does the will of God as an expression of their salvation, as a result of their salvation, following after God is going to live forever. Everything you do for Christ if you've done it in right motive, will last forever. Every time you've pursued Christ, every time you've made decisions for, to release temporary things for that which is eternal, you have made the right decision. When you have sat at the feet of Christ and when Jesus said he, she has chosen the better, you have made the right decision. When your folks call you fools for following after Christ, you have made the right decision because the one who does the will of God will last forever. Amen. He is worth it. How will you, how will you grow in your love for Christ in a world that hates him? Fight at the heart level, okay? Don't fight in the superficial level. Go down deep to the heart. When your brothers and sisters, when your disciples talking about a sin, go to the heart level. Parents, go to the heart level. Friends, go to the heart level. Fight it there. Okay. Not, oh, did you just fulfill this outside requirement? Go to the heart. Second, be on constant guard. Be ever vigilant. The enemy wants to eat you up and make a mockery of Christ. They want you to say you were a Christian at school and then for you to blow it at school to make a mockery of Christ. That's exactly what they want. That's what the world wants. And then lastly, keep an eternal perspective. Know that all these things are passing and what you do for Christ are the only things that last. And every time you pursue uh, things that will cultivate your love in Jesus, you have made the right decision, brother and sister. That can't ever be taken away from you. I've never regretted following after Christ. You will never, I guarantee it, you will never regret following after Christ. Father in heaven, we are 
moved by your son and his perfect obedience, how he is not fallen into temptation, but he is perfect in his obedience and in his love. We thank you that you have given us strength and power to obey you. We thank you that if we rely on your son and on your spirit and on your word, we can defeat this world system that seeks to choke out the word of God in our lives. God, help us not to fall to idolatry. Even as John ends his letter, he says, little children, not to fall for idols. God, if there are idols in our lives right now, we pray you would remove them. We pray that we would not fall to them. And Lord, we pray for that one who does not know you. And you are speaking to them. Soften their heart, Lord. May they not fight after Christ. Fight Christ. May they love him and treasure him. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.